Good morning, everybody, from the great American Pacific Northwest. This is Jack Graham and my co-host, John Peterson, down in Portland, Oregon. Again, uh, good morning, John. How are you? Good morning, Jack. Doing good? All wet and frosty from being outside? Well, it's November, and we thank everybody for being uh, with us today on another edition of our uh, (laughs) award-winning podcast called We Talk Photo. For those of you who have not been here before, this is a podcast that we've been doing for quite a while now, and it's about everything... Oh, it has to do with nature and a little bit of travel photography. But um, not we're gear. Not, but we're not a gear-centric thing. We no. don't do gear reviews. Um, we don't particularly care what you do. We care about trying to help you out and uh, and what have you. So and, without and further Jack, ado. Hold on. Uh, let me add. The one thing that yeah. we won't have here on this show is the five tips for amazing landscape photography. No, no we'll have... Six tips for six tips. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, we might do six. We have one tip. Stay away from (laughs) tips. Anyhow, without further ado, it's so exciting again to have um, our one of our dear friends who's been here before, but he's making a comeback, and uh, we're going to let you know why he's here. Other than it's just great to have Guy Tal with us today. Good morning, Guy from Tour Utah. Good morning, guys, and thank you very much for for having me again, and uh, welcome back from your uh, hiatus, Jack. And, uh, yeah. like, <laughs> well, you know, it's it's all um, you know, it's a funny thing. You know, with the COVID situation, we're all kind of uh, operating a little differently, but it seems like the time in preparation for maybe what's going to happen next year and doing what you know we do, it's still taking up a lot of time, even though we're not. Uh, not not cooking like we used to but well, yeah, yeah at, the, at the same time yeah i mean a lot of things are different so we definitely have to do some uh some thinking and uh and, and figuring out what to do next and how to how to work through this yeah yeah but, but you still know busy when we were uh talking before this we start recording folks about uh introducing guy um you know guy and i go back a lot of years um and then and 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 uh you know, normally when you hear podcasts, they go, okay, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. And you eat up about 10 minutes of, well, I, you know, I got my first camera when I was four years old. And, you know, I, I always wanted to be a photographer, all that stuff. So we're going to skip that. I think anybody who wants to, who doesn't know who Guy Tal is, A, figure it out really fast. And, and B, um, it, it, he is not only a good friend of ours, but, um, he's in my my top three favorite photographers of all time, and he's a great writer and what have you. So, Guy, you're here um, with us today. We're going to talk about More Than a Rock, Volume 2, among other things. Well, thank you very much for the, for the kind yeah, words. Give, <laughs> give, us a little, give us a little background on the thinking of why, why is Volume 2 um, – a really great read and by the way it is we 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 were lucky enough for you to send us a copy so tell us a little well, uh, bit yeah so so uh the, the publisher rocky newick uh they contacted me and told me that the first edition was about to sell out and they asked me if i wanted to do a second edition uh and i think their original thinking was you know to just do a, a few a little cleanup but uh i i wanted to make this more of a worthwhile uh, upgrade so there's a, a few new things about it um 
One is that it's going to be in, in hardback. Uh, the previous one was in softcover. Um, there's also uh, four new articles. Uh, as, as you might know, the book is divided into four sections, and I can I can elaborate on that. So there's one article in each one of these new sections. But for me, I think the most valuable things, at least as an author, is I, I got to go over all of my old material and uh, clean that up uh, in a way that I felt it needed. And so a lot of the articles, the original articles, have been edited and, and clarified, and I'm, I'm very happy with the way it turned out. Well, the first book, I have to tell you, it was it's it's uh, it, it 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 it's really a great book, and and uh, you know um, one of the things I miss, guy, I'm going to be very honest with you, uh, and it's it's just a combination of scheduling and and the COVID situation. You know, you and I, we used to run that workshop down in uh, the Sierra, and and uh, folks, we used to sit up sometimes pretty late correct and uh listening to some jazz and talking about stuff other than photography and well, i really miss that maybe maybe someday we can get back to that and it was a good thing but the insight that guy brings into photography it, it's really a little bit different view than you'll read in a lot of the publications that are either online um or what have you um let's talk about the new articles. How about that? Just kick this thing off. Okay. Uh, pick one and and give us an idea on what and why. Uh, okay. Well, first of all, let, let me just uh, for those of you that haven't read the book, is uh, I talked about the four sections, and the four sections are art, craft, experiences, and meditations. And uh, in the art section, I talk really more about creativity, about the why why I do what I do, and the importance of it for me. Uh, of, of personal expression. The the craft section is more about the, the technical details of doing photography, but not how to do it, but why we pursue it in certain ways. So that's the craft section. Uh, and then experiences is about my my life as a photographer, uh, what it means to me to just go out there in the landscape and then be creative and do what I do. And then finally, meditations is those uh, more philosophical thoughts that, that I have uh, that didn't really fit in the other sections, but more just general thoughts about life as an artist, as a photographer. Um, so yeah, in each one of those, there's a new article, and uh, maybe I should just start by by reading uh, the the first new article is called the Mission of Art, and uh, I think Jack, what's that? Please do. This is great. Oh okay. So Jack, I think you'll appreciate that one because the the opening uh, quotations. I have a quotation at the top of every article. The opening quotation for this one is from Bill Evans, uh, and he says it's easy to rediscover part of yourself, but through art you can be shown a part of yourself that you never knew existed. And he calls that the real mission of art. And that's something that for me it, it really spoke to me because I feel that in the way that I pursue photography. I have discovered things about myself that not only did I not know, but I didn't know all for a lot of years as a photographer. I, I just slowly discovered them while pursuing photography, and that made it very meaningful for me. So I'd like to read a, uh, a section from that article, if that's okay. Yeah, for sure. Please. Okay. All right, so uh, here goes. Photography has many uses, art being just one of them. Of these uses, photographic art is arguably the most contentious, not only because art often requires venturing beyond the medium's ostensible purpose of objective representation, but also because art's purpose, at least to some, is different from the purposes of other uses for, for, for photography. 
Most photographers aim to convey the appearances of things outside themselves, views, objects, people, or events to people other than themselves, the viewers, serving mostly as conduits of visual information. We photographic artists, on the other hand, often seek to elevate our inner experiences beyond just witnessing beautiful or interesting things outside ourselves and relaying to others what they may have seen if they were standing next to us. Instead, we seek to give subjective and emotional meaning to external view, to discover things about the world and ourselves beyond what we already know and beyond what would have been obvious to anyone else in similar circumstances. We thrive not only on being in certain places and witnessing certain things, but also on, their, on our inner experiences and rewards of artistic creations and personal expression. We wish to contribute some worthwhile things of our own making to the world and not just to be passive consumers of things already in the world. In sharing our work, our goal is not, merely, is not to merely convey information to our viewers, but to express to our viewers our inner feelings about or through the things we photograph. To inspire in our viewers, to inspire our viewers to experience their own sense of meaning and discovery, not by showing them what we saw, but by composing and presenting what we saw as to imply its significance to us or to suggest that it may have greater significance worth discovery beyond just being visually attractive or interesting in some objective sense. To most, the goal of photography is to make appealing photographs. In a larger sense, some consider the purpose of art simply to make beautiful objects. Lost in such simplistic ideas is the power of art to elevate the lives of both artists and viewers, not just by injecting ephemeral distractions into their days, but by shaping and influencing perceptions, lifestyles, and attitudes in positive and lasting ways. Yep. Mm. You know, the other day I was doing a, a Zoom call for the Fujifilm company, and, um, you know, we were talking about subjects and stories and images and I think what you touched on it, it's so important because people will say well you know the subject of this uh, image is this and then I'll say well what's the story and they'll say well the story is the subject well it's not it's, uh, and, and guy maybe you can expand on this because I think you really hit on that um, the story is derived from the subject, but the story comes from you, not the subject. Uh, yes, and so the, the way that I like to summarize it is that the subject is not an object. <laughs> the subject is, is something other than just the, the literal things, the, the, the thing that you can name that you're looking at in the photograph. Um, so the subject can be some inner expression, something that you wouldn't have known if I did not specifically portray and express it in a certain way. Um, and I think uh, a good another good way to put it is uh, by, by John Sarkowski. Uh, he said uh, that a good photograph is about things. It's not a picture of things. It's a picture about things. Mm -hmm. And so I think that what, what, the, what the subject of the photograph is what the photograph is about and sometimes it can be the same thing as here's something pretty or interesting that I saw but a lot of times it can also be here's something that I want to express to you either about the things that you're looking at or using the things that you're looking at yep yep, yep. well John so, why don't you oh okay I was so I was gonna it, this is a little bit of a, a, a tougher question to ask in a way, but, you know, so for you, for the viewers out there who haven't read or spent time talking with Guy, you know, you're a very um, inward focused person. I mean, you spend a lot of time when you preach a lot or, or discuss a lot about um, 
really kind of searching inside yourself and having that come out through the photography. And, uh, you know, for one of the, one of the big banes of this industry is everybody talks about gear, gear and settings and, and replication of shots and mimicry and all that kind of good stuff. And, and that loses that, that takes all of our focus as artists outside of ourselves instead of internally focused to come out through our photography. How do you get people sort of off of that, off of that mindset and get them looking inside? Even though that's uh, sometimes scary for people. Oh, that, that undoubtedly is scary. And it was scary for me. And to this day, it's still scary because what it means is that there's never a guaranteed photograph in it for you. Uh, when you go off trying to express something of yourself, uh, it's very, very rare that you will have, here's an exact formula, an exact script of how you can create a successful photograph that expresses this feeling or this emotion. And so just by just by adopting this mindset, you're pretty much conceding that you might not be successful. Uh, and I think that that's definitely threatening to, to people, especially when the, the time that they have to practice photography is limited. Uh, and so what I try to do is help people shift that focus. I mean, first of all, if you focus on the process, the creative process of, of whether it's a photograph or anything else that you create, you will always have a, a better experience than you did going into it. So if you focus on things like experimentation and exploration and experiencing and mindfulness uh, and all the, the incredible dimensions of, of beauty that we have for us, especially as a nature photographer, we're out in some of the most beautiful and, and inspiring places there are. If you learn to make that the, the primary focus of going out is I'm going out to have a wonderful experience. And if I get a photograph, that would make it a little bit better. But if I don't, it would still be better. So that is one way to alleviate some of that fear. The other way to alleviate that fear is something that at least initially you sort of have to take on faith. And that is you might not be successful every time, but those times when you will be successful will offset whatever disappointment you had from the other times by a huge margin. It will more than pay for itself. Uh, and I think that that's something that after experiencing that, excuse me, after experiencing it in person a few times, you would definitely learn that that is true. But taking it on faith and saying, OK, I'm just going to try to be creative and not go for the obvious uh, initially could be scary. Um, and uh, when you when you were talking, Jack, it reminded me of a, of a quote by uh, Brooks Jensen, the, the Publisher's yep. work uh, that I want to read to you because it touches on that. Uh, he said, for the first several years, one struggles with technical challenges, making sure, making sure and steady progress, a learning curve and growth process that is rewarding, stimulating, and self-renewing. But eventually, every photographer who sticks with it long enough arrives at a technical plateau, and production of a technically good photograph is relatively easy. It is here that real photography starts, and most photographers quit. And I think that that's a very powerful statement is, yeah, until you master all the technicalities or at least enough of the technicalities of photography to a point where they come easy for you, then they're very exciting. But once you get to a point where, okay, I know that I can operate my gear and I can process my images to get exactly what I want. Now what? What do I do with this? And this is the point where, like Brooke says, uh, a lot of photographers just quit because from this point on, it's all about creativity. It's all about expression. It's all about not just about being able to produce a technically good photograph or a technically beautiful photograph, but an expressive photograph. And in order to produce an expressive photograph, it's not enough to know how to do it. You also have to have something that's worth expressing. Uh, and that is a much bigger challenge. 
You know, something sticks in my head uh, all the time, Guy, and, and, and it's one of your quotes. Yeah, and I'm going to probably not quote it correctly. I'll paraphrase it. You don't go out and take a photograph because it's a pretty picture. You don't take pretty pictures. You take meaningful pictures, and there's a big, big difference. Um, yeah, so for me, pretty is, is an aspect of it being meaningful because I want to give yours a reason to want to try to get at that meaning. So that's where aesthetics come in is I want to first tempt them to look at the photograph, get some enjoyment from looking at the photographs. But that's a means to an end. It's not the end. Yeah. Yeah, I see people people taking photographs, um, trying to, you know, for the purpose of, you know, show, showing, uh, you know, Aunt uh, Aunt Susie what where I was, and you know, the Aunt Susie can't smell the smells and and see, you know, maybe 180 degrees and and feel the wind and. So, you know, Galen Rowley used to preach that, and he'd say, so, you know, why bother? It's, you can't do it. Work work on being an artist, you know, and doing something. Yeah, more- I, I agree with that, yeah. Because, uh, you know, reproducing just the visual uh, of, of what you saw, that will give people, you know, an idea of where you were. It, it would never give them an equivalent to the, the full sensory, multi-sensory experience, a multi-dimensional experience of actually being there, not just actually being there, but being there on that particular day, being the person that you are, <clears throat> having, feeling whatever you happen to have been feeling. The, these are all subjective things that uh, you, you can't just completely capture visually. And some people say, yeah, that's what photojournalists do. But I'll argue that a good photojournalist does the same thing, guy, that you're preaching. They're expressing themselves in the in, in the image. Well, there's certainly a lot of overlap there, but that's part of my point is photography is a medium, just like writing is a medium. And not all writing is journalism, and not all photography should be photojournalism. Photography can be photojournalism. It can be art. It can be you know visual poetry. It can be a lot of different things. And uh, I, I think part of the challenge that we're slowly chipping away at to have uh, photography be accepted as a medium for art is that is that conception or I would say prejudice that photography is only one thing. Photography is only a medium for the representation of objective appearances and can't be anything else, which is complete nonsense. We see evidence that it's not the case every single day. Yep. Yeah. You know, Guy, you make a, you, there's a section in the book with you talking about artists and sort of what makes an artist and, and, a lot of your thoughts are almost devoid of medium. You know, we're an artistic person, regardless of how that gets realized, whether it's through painting, photography, pottery, you know, it doesn't matter. It's, it's a frame of mind and a train of thought around artistry, which I thought was really intriguing. Yeah. And, and Alfred Stieglitz said that, you know, more than 120, 130 years ago, somebody asked him, well, so is photography art? And he said, photography is not art and painting is not art and sculpting is not art either. It's how expressive you are using that medium that makes it art. Mm-hmm. Good point. So uh, let's move to maybe one of your other new articles, Guy. Uh, of course. Uh, okay, so I'll just go to the next section. So the next section uh, is titled Craft, and this is more about the 
the how to do things, with, but more about why to do things in a certain way. Because like you said, I, I don't, I think there's people that do the, the gear and the how to better than I do. Uh, so this one talks about uh, rules in photography. That there's a tendency among photographers to look for rules. And then, you know, there's entire books that are dedicated to compositional templates. And then, you know, uh, it pretty much instructions, step-by-step instructions on how to do things. And I think that these are pretty futile. <clears throat> Uh, so this is uh, this is from an article that's titled "Perfectly Dead Things," and the reason it's titled that is from a quotation by Paul Strand. Uh, I'll just read you the beginning of it. He says, "Perhaps you will say, but wait, how about design and composition, or in a painter's lingo, organization and significant form?" My answer is that these are words which, when they become formulated, signify as a rule perfectly dead things. Uh, and he explains why, but I'll I'll give you some of my explanation. Um, Okay, so this is from that article. <clears throat> Anyone proclaiming to know any rules of visual composition that alone make for good photographs, or even a majority of good photographs, is speaking out of ignorance or relying on anecdotal evidence. If such rules exist in any universal sense, we human beings living in this time can't say exactly what they are. And this refers previously to a scientific reason why we don't know what these rules are. We do know that to the degree that such rules exist, they are far more complex and contingent upon many more factors than anything that can be reduced to a list of simple how-to tips. Are there rules that all other things being equal can make a difference in which, a, in which of a handful of possible compositions may be judged by a majority of viewers as more aesthetically pleasing than others? Perhaps. But in photography, all other things are very rarely equal. One composition may be more pleasing than another, but another composition may elicit more powerful or altogether different emotional response, or draw the viewer's attention to different elements in the frame than the rule-based composition, making it hard to designate one as better than the other. Such alternatives may not necessarily be prettier in the simplistic sense, but may be more desirable in other ways. For example, they may be more expressive or more interesting or more mysterious. We can't say that one composition is necessarily better than another without first asking better for what. In particular, those who aspire to be expressive artists should be mindful of the fact that it's very limiting if the only thing you know how to express in a photograph is here's something pretty. Hmm. <laughs> That's just what we were talking about. Yeah. 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 Very true. So the guy, when you're put, putting, um, when you're putting these thoughts together, um, you know, everything, I remember when I read the book for the first time, everything kind of flowed um, into, into, it flowed really well. And it, and it, it, it kind of reminded me of the, um, the talks that you gave to our group when we did our workshops in the Sierra, in other words, they, they, they kind of ebbed up to uh, kind of crescendoed up to a, uh, a point that, you know, we kind of uh, got everybody motivated to quit worrying about, you know, what camera they're using and what lens they're using and, and to go out and be creative um, I know you and Michael are running some really uh, big events. I think they're sold out. We'll talk about that in a little while in Death Valley. Are you still taking folks out um, without a camera for a walk? 
well, it's it's pretty much up to them. What, what we try to install on them is don't touch the camera until you know what you want to do. Uh, because if you're walking around uh, kind of locked into, well, I'm going to make a photograph or I have to make a photograph and this is the lens I have with me, so I have to only look for things that are you know would fit within that, uh, I, I think you're missing out. A, on the greater experience of just being outside, which, you know, we're nature photographers. We sometimes have to remind ourselves the reason we're nature photographers is not that nature photography is the most uh, lucrative or, or technically complicated or challenging kind of photography. We're nature photographers because we love nature. Uh, and it's really odd to me sometimes to see people going to a location you know everything planned the, the, the sunrise time where you're going to be where are you going to stand at what time what lens you're going to have on and then as soon as you're done and uh, quote unquote get the shot you pack up and leave and so really you're creating a photograph that's designed to show people how wonderful it is to be out in nature but then you seem to have no interest in actually being out in nature yourself <laughs> other than to make a photograph so to me that kind of defeats the purpose um so yeah, well, we we definitely you know when we start our, our our workshops on day one, we don't go anywhere. We start in the afternoon. We start with a four hour class in in a, in the classroom, talking about expression, talking about inspiration, talking about some of the signs, talking about an approach to photography that is that is resulting from experience and not just you know we need to be at these five locations at these exact times to to get get these exact shots. Do you do you think do you think that it's good when people let's just say the average person you know has a has a job during the week and they're going to go out on Saturday to 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 go somewhere to maybe make a image or two? Um, let's just talk about preparing uh, to do that, and not so much for people like us who can. That's this is what we do, but you know the average person who who really has a nine to five job that has a day or two in the weekend to go out and shoot. What would you suggest the approach should be for for those people? Uh, well, I, I wrote an article uh, uh, I forgot when a couple of months ago for uh, for On Landscape Magazine about unpreparedness, about going out completely unprepared. You know, other than obviously the essentials of how to get there and travel and what you need to do, where to sleep, where to eat. Just going out with absolutely no preconceptions in mind. And that's an attitude that I recommend even for people that have a very limited time to photograph. Uh, because, like I said, uh, for me it was, and, and I've, I've learned that in the course of years, so maybe my advice will help shortcut that for some people, but uh, it got to a point where if if my only purpose in going out was to get a photograph or as many photographs as I can, uh, I ended up losing the experience because I was constantly in a rush. If I didn't get the photograph that I wanted, then I felt frustrated. And it's like, if this is, if this is your time to be out, to do the things that you love, why would you even want to risk being frustrated just because the clouds didn't show up? That just seems silly to me because the whole reason that you're there is to appreciate your experience and to be in a place that is beautiful and that you love. And so it's okay to come back without a photograph. And like I said, in my experience now over 30 years, uh, those photographs that do work will make up for all the photographs that didn't work uh, by a huge margin. Um, at least that, that's that's my 
from looking back at all all these photographs that I make, I can pick out the ones that have been absolutely meaningful where I can look at them, you know, 15, 20, 30 years later, and I can relive that moment. I remember exactly what it felt like to be there, what the air smelled like, you know, what, what the temperature was. Uh, whereas, you know, I have a couple of photo, really old photographs from, uh, you know, Mesa Arch that <laughs> it's actually funny of why, why I photographed it, but, um, I have no memory at all about that day. The only yeah. memory I have of that is walking back after I made the photograph and telling myself, I'm glad I don't have to do that again. Yeah. <laughs> well, so guys, speaking of experiences, let's, let's touch on that third section of your book and, and titled experiences. And what, uh, what was the new article in that section? Uh, one second, I will tell you. Okay, so the new article in, in Experiences is called A Matter of Perspective. Uh, and this one talks about uh, an experience that I had uh, backpacking into a remote canyon here in Utah, which is something that I do a lot. Um, and just some thoughts that, that I've had uh, kind of waking up in the morning in my sleeping bag. Um, and it occurred to me that, that there was a correlation between the concept of perspective uh, about life as uh, that the concept of perspective in photography has a lot to do about perspective and life. Uh, so uh, would you like me to read from that? Or? Sure. Please. All right. Um, okay. Let's see which part did I highlight here. Okay. Perspective is a point of reference, a relationship in space or time or some other dimension between some here and some there. As a photographer, choosing my perspective allows me to control visual relationships in my composition. In the words of Ansel Adams, a good photograph is knowing where to stand. By moving myself, I can make things seem closer together or farther apart. I can make some things appear larger or smaller than other things. I can bring desirable things into my composition and exclude distracting ones. I can juxtapose some things against other things. In a larger sense, perspective is also the metaphorical relationship between me and the world. Much as I much like I can guide a viewer's attention in a photographic composition by controlling my literal position, I can also guide my own attention by controlling my metaphorical position. In consciously choosing my position, I can make some thoughts and feelings seem more or less important than others. I can enlarge some useful ideas and diminish or eliminate the distracting ones. I can align or contrast some perceptions with others to affect their meaning or to arrive at entirely new meanings. Without effort, I can think of a dozen things to be concerned about, to feel anxious about, to make me want to rush out to where there is cellular signals so I can get myself up to speed on what's going on. But why in the world would I want to do that? Right here, right now, beauty, peace, and gratitude abound, but only if I'm open to them, only if I'm willing to set aside less profitable thoughts, and only if I can muster the discipline to maintain a mindful perspective, fully aware and grateful for this rare and ephemeral experience. A man who dares to waste one hour of time, wrote Charles Darwin, has not discovered the value of life. But an hour seems too long. In an hour, the light would be different. The birds may be gone. The wind may pick up. And while unlikely, even another person might show up. How can I defend wasting so much as a second of this un on unproductive thoughts, on things I can do nothing about? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, being present in the moment. Uh, exactly. And that, for me, that just became very... That, that becomes more, uh, I guess, poignant when I literally am out alone, especially in a place like that where, you know, I would have had to walk for half a day just to get a cell signal. Um, so 
you know, that there's always that urge in your gut of, well, something is going on that I need to know about. But then you have to catch yourself and say, well, I need to readjust my perspective. That is not a productive thing for me to think about right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's why, you know, and, and John, John, John and I um, are, are doing a, a bunch of workshops guy. And one of the things we like to do is purposely not get to a location just in time to, to, to do what we are there to do. Um, you, you know, how many times do you see people, you know, driving up in their car, the tires screech, they run out with their tripod, they plant it on the ground and they're not prepared. They're not mentally in the game, mm-hmm. you know, and, so it's good to get where you're going in plenty of time and enjoy where you are and understand where you are. And, you know, um, it, the mental end of what we do is so, is so much, so often not even discussed. It's, 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 uh, it's, it's just not addressed and you have to be, you have to be in the game. Yeah, and I think that's also true, you know, in in these uh, iconic and often photographed places and not just, you know, out exploring. And and, uh, one memory that I have is, uh, you know, Michael and I have been leading workshops in Death Valley for a while. And one morning we were up on Zabriskie Point, up on the platform. And, you know, we got there obviously early enough to for everybody to get set up and it was pretty busy. There were a lot of people there, but it looked like the clouds were about to light up and it was going to be one of those you know, spectacular moments. And sure enough, it just started to unravel and the light was happening. And, and before you know it, these couple of gentlemen just come running up to the ramp and they're just cussing up a storm because they overslept or just didn't get there in time. And they find they, they start complaining about all the people and that they don't have anywhere to put their tripod and then finally that they find a spot they plant the tripod that they they make a couple of snapshots and then one of them sit together all right i got the shot let's go get some bleeping breakfast and so i'm wondering now a viewer that would look at their image would think that they've had just the most sublime gorgeous experience which is pretty much the exact opposite of the experience they did have because they were angry, they were anxious, they were cussing, they were not happy. Uh, and then I'm thinking about them. Okay, what will they remember from that moment? Will they remember seeing this incredible scene in the incredible conditions? Or will they remember the frustration and I don't know how good the uh, the breakfast potatoes were? I don't know, but I think yeah. if you don't, if you don't also invest in your experience, then it's kind of odd that you would want to do it in the first place. If the very things that that you want to share with the world are things that you don't experience yourself or can't appreciate yourself when you're actually experiencing them, then it just seems pointless. It does. It does. It's it, it, A lot of that's just the trophy hunter mentality, though, of people just want to get this shot and just put it in their book and say, check, got it. Um, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of what Jack and I talk about too is, is slowing down. I know you do as well, guy, you know, you have to slow down. You have to put away your cell phone. You have to do these things with yourself so you can be more present in the moment, show up early, get in the zone, you know, think creatively, do all of these things to eliminate distraction so you can be connected to the photographs that you're trying to make. 
absolutely. See, when you're in a rush, that means that your your mind is trying to do a lot of things at the same time. And there's there's been a, a really interesting study done uh, recently about uh, multitasking. Uh, as it turns out, <clears throat> most people are really really bad at multitasking, and the people who are worst at multitasking are the people who think they are good at it. Uh, <laughs> But but what happens is when you multitask, you're pretty much slicing your attention. So you you only reserve a small piece of it in short intervals to any given task, and and it's a really hard to be creative or to fully appreciate your situation when your brain is constantly trying to leap from one thing to another and constantly worried about what you're going to do next and constantly worried about uh, I don't know the things that have happened in the past that you can't do anything about. So yes, yeah, slowing down. For me, it is about corralling all your attention, just taking attention away from all these other things that have nothing to do with your experience, your present experience, your 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 artistic expression, and just having all these resources be available for you to that expressive enterprise towards you know feeling being mindful, knowing what's around you, appreciating you know the 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 the, the visual the visuals and the smells and the air and the the whole. All the dimensions of your experience. Mm-hmm. You know, another level. You know, I mean, I think it's really great. And if you hit on this in your, I think it was the first article that you read from. You get to the point where, I mean, I know this sounds funny, but you don't really care if you get a photograph or not. You know. Yeah. Now, now I get if someone has never been, say, to Death Valley and they fly from the East Coast and they fly into Las Vegas, they rent their car, they come up and meet you guys and they, they've seen all the images, they, they've, you know, you know they, they want to get a couple of good photographs. I totally understand that and that's why on workshops, I don't, I mean, I talk about this, but I'm not, you know, I, you know, John, I don't think you and I, you know, get upset with people who, are there trying to no. get images, but get the, get the icon and then move on. But when they go home, you know, and and they're in their own area and they're out for that that day that they can get out. I think you have to train yourself to not care about the photography, to care about the 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 the, the day that you're out, and the experience, how great it is to see what we're able to see and appreciate it. You know, yeah, I, I would put a, a little spin on that. Is, is yeah, you should care about the photography, but not as the the the, the primary reason for you being there. Photography should should be an extension of something it should be an outcome of something it should be an outcome of a meaningful experience and certainly if it's the first time you're standing at Zabriskie Point your jaw is going to hit the floor you know seeing the sunrise right I mean that is something that's well worth commemorating well worth photographing and if that's what your guy's telling you to do then do it definitely don't feel guilty about it because guilt is one of those uh, unfortunate and useless emotions at that point Uh, yeah get that that photograph but what I tell people is don't stop there okay Okay, you got it. Now you can feel safe. It's in your, it's in on your memory card, on your piece of film. Uh, you've been here. You felt it. You have a good photograph of it. But there is so much more to this place that you might not even know if you don't take a deep breath and just start looking at things more carefully. Start thinking about things more deliberately. Yeah, 
Good point. So, Guy, let's let's touch on the the last part of your book, uh, meditation. So, all those articles that didn't fit in the first three sections. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that and the new article that's in there. Sure. Uh, So, you know, I I like to think very philosophically about things, and and uh, some of my some of my philosophy ties directly with some specific aspects of photography but then some thoughts are just inspired you know, come off as a, as a byproduct of that and those are the things that go into meditation these are mostly cerebral things that i've been thinking about uh, and that last uh article that i added uh it's titled photographing rocks uh, and it, it it touches on on some of the current uh, covid19 pandemic uh, uh issues and and the thing that triggered it for me is uh Way back in the 30s, you know, the, 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 a lot of turmoil, the, 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 the stock market was about to crash. There was a, a lot of reasons for people to be very worried. And uh, Henri Cartier-Bresson, the, the French photographer, uh, he, he, had, he made a very cantankerous uh, comment at that point. He, he said, the world is going to pieces and people like Adams and Weston are photographing rocks. Talking about Ansel <laughs> Edward Weston. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and I just think that was that was a very flippant and short-sighted uh, thing to say. Uh, in fact, uh, Ansel Adams and Edward Weston had corresponded about this. They never said much in public about it, but they corresponded about it, and some of these letters were later published. Uh, so I opened this article with uh, <clears throat> something that Ansel Adams wrote to Edward Weston after after uh, they heard that Cartier-Bresson said that. So. Uh, Adams is saying to Weston, both you and I are incapable of devoting ourselves to contemporary social significance in our work. I still believe there is a real social significance in a rock, a more important significance therein than in a line of the unemployed. For that opinion, I'm charged with inhumanity, unawareness. I am dead through, finished, a social liability, one who will be liquidated when the great day comes. Let it come. So, in other words, he's being defiant, but uh, he he was he wasn't being defiant in public. He was de- being defiant to his friend Edward Weston. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, I, I took this quotation because we're kind of in, in a similar position right now. There is a lot going on in the world that that a lot of people are concerned about, justifiably concerned about. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you should give up photography or anything else that makes your life meaningful, even if it has nothing to do with what's on on the front page of the news. Uh, So this is from the article. In these days of the COVID-19 pandemic, as so many are lamenting or even rebelling against the difficulties of social distancing, I am more aware than ever of the fascination to a point of obsession that most people have with the lives and doings of other people, which I myself don't feel. So many psychologists and cognitive scientists I know or have read fall, fall onto the expressions, we are social beings as a means of explaining a plethora of odd, some useful, some irrational, and some outright terrifying human behaviors, as if it was some fundamental axiom of the universe rather than just an outcome of evolutionary selection, a trait founded in fitness and not necessarily in goodness. <clears throat> Nature to me is not just a catch-all category for some places and life forms removed from the artifice of the human world. My perception of the world and of my place in it, a random member of a random species at a random plant on a random planet at a random time, gives me, given by whatever forces, a tiny blip of conscious living in which to appreciate the grandeur of the world beyond beyond me shapes my experience. 
gives context to my very being and allows me to perceive beauty and mystery, not just within the narrow scope of human affairs, but on the grandest scale of existence, ranging from quantum fields to galaxies and beyond. Finding beauty and knowledge in mathematics and visualizing worlds beyond my own frees me from the confines of my limited senses. As I photograph and find solace in the desert wilds I love, in the company of rocks, plants, and animals that enrich my world in ways no human endeavor can, would I be better off dwelling on some petty, tragic, or violent misfortune of the human species? Would I be better off if my living ceased to be beautiful to me because of some crisis, loss, danger, or other inevitable consequence of my brief and vulnerable existence as a living organism among so many others? I think not. Well... That's, uh, you know, it, it certainly is a, a time to apply a lot of that because I think that it's easy to get in a, in a state of mind where, you know, you say, well, I, I, I'm going to, I'm not going to do this because I can't go here and I can't go there. And, you know, where everybody lives, I don't care. You can live in anywhere in, in the world and there's something to photograph in that area and there's somewhere to go in that area. Yeah. To, to 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 relieve the stress that's being uh, put on us through what's going on here. And, uh, yeah, and, and even even people who are in quarantine, uh, I have a couple of things to say about it. First of all, if you look around, you'll see people creating just these incredibly creative portfolios, uh, you know, working in their own studios, in their own yards, not going anywhere. Yeah. Uh, and the the other part of it is is you know uh, someone <laughs> once asked me if I have a word of advice for for new photographers so I took that literally I said yeah I do have a word read uh, because by reading you're not limited you can go to places and learn about things and see things and figure things out and come up with ideas without ever going anywhere so i think that this would be a great time for anybody to catch up on reading or to start a reading habit which i think is one of the best things that a person can do for themselves here's a question for you guy um for the you know for the for the hobbyist the photographic hobbyist what what three if you could name three books other than I would say yours of course but three books um, that you would recommend them reading I know there's probably about three hundred but can you come up I know this is a crazy question uh, yeah there are a lot the, the the people often ask me that and then I wonder well I can off I can give you books about photography but my photography doesn't come from or at least for the most part, doesn't come from reading about other people's photography. I right. mean, I like reading those, but my worldview comes from, you know, lo- loving to read about a huge variety of things, about science, about physics, about psychology, about, you know, neuroscience, nature, natural history. So uh, I, I, I hesitate to make that recommendation because not everybody's list of interests is going to be the same. And you could find inspiration in just about anything, you know, if, if you like ballet you can read books about ballet and find inspiration that's useful for photography uh, so so you know with that caveat i'd say uh one of the books that inspired me very much was uh, edward weston's uh day books um 
and uh, it's in comes in two volumes, one from uh, one from California, one from Mexico. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't. Uh, it's not published in an electronic version, so you would have to find a paper copy. And this, I mean, if for anybody that doesn't know, the the day books are his personal journal where he pretty much runs ideas by himself, talks about his days. And parts of it are, you know, not the most fascinating. He just talks about, here's what I did today. Uh, but other parts of it just have so much insight from a person who tried to photograph, you know, in, in his own words. He said, that the only thing that interests, interests me is life. You know, everything that I photograph ties into that one word, life. Uh, and so he tries to express his life. And he's lived a, just a crazy, adventurous life. Uh, and a lot of things that we today take for granted really come from him. You know, all these people photographing dunes in Death Valley, they might not know it, but he was the pioneer of that. Uh, and, and a lot of other things. He was also, you know, one of the very first photographers to bring the sensibilities of modern art into photography, uh, just the, that sense of design in modern art. So he was a very interesting person. Uh, he had some very insightful thoughts. So that would be one. Um, trying to think what else what else what else uh there is you know i'm gonna go off of psych off of photography now and uh give you a book of psychology i'm just gonna bring up amazon here just because i don't remember off the top of my head the title uh it's by a psychologist named jonathan Haidt, h-a-i-b-t uh and it's called it's called it's called it's called the happiness hypothesis uh, so Haidt is a, a sort of a pioneer of what's called uh, positive psychology, uh, and he talks about what makes people happy, and a lot of times the things that might not be very intuitive, and he, he just, he describes it in a very, very engaging way. I mean, that's the kind of book you read when you need a pick-me-up, you know, when you feel like you're getting tired of life, and then life is bearing down on you, and you don't know what to do. You read this book, he'll give you a little kick. Appropriate uh, so these days. Appropriate these days, and I think that uh, you know, being being creative requires motivation, and motivation requires you to feel a little bit of or a lot of, of positivity about what you do, that it's important and worthwhile. And I think that this book does a very good job of uh, of putting you in that mood where it's like, okay, there's a purpose to what I, I do, there's a reason for doing things a certain way. Uh, okay, so that would be two. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a third. Um, two is okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, well, let, let, let's leave it at those. I mean, if you read these two, I'm sure you'll find so much in them that you'll be able to apply either to photography or even just to, to the way that you practice, you know, your everyday life. Good good thing to do is to be happy if you can. It's yeah. uh, getting tougher and tougher at times. But, you know, so much of what we do is attitude, you know. And Actually, you know what? I have a third one for you. Um, okay. Uh, this one has a pretty unfortunate uh, title. It's called <laughs> Why Buddhism is True, and it's not at all about why the religion of Buddhism is true. So look past the title. It's by Robert Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T. And really, it's about the science of meditation, of why meditation is a good practice to adopt. Uh, and he himself is admitted, admits to not being your stereotypical meditator. Uh, and so he approaches it from the point of view of, 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 a, of a skeptic and, and, a, and a cynical person. Uh, and he tells you exactly what uh, meditation could do for you, even if you're that kind of person. And I think it's extremely useful. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I would agree as well as, you know, just to help your general sense of well-being, your centeredness, your connectedness to yourself. I think it also helps in our artistic endeavors. Um, it it mm -hmm. helps us better frame what it is we want to say through our mm -hmm. art. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we talked earlier about the benefits of slowing down. That's really what it comes down to. It's being able to focus your attention at will on just one thing, because we're kind of programmed to constantly have our attention hijacked by a lot of different things. And so we end up not doing any one of them fully. Uh, and meditation is a way of training your mind to, to focus attention uh, at will. Wow. Yeah. I want to take that quote and write it down about we're trained to be hijacked and so true in, in today's world with all of our electronic devices and all of our um, ADD advertising and so, we're, we're just hijacked period. I, I would, I would recommend in, you know, in, 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 in uh, closing that, uh, you know, for those of you who um, maybe, are listening to this and saying this, this is pretty deep stuff. Um, it really isn't. Uh, and Guy and John, jump in here um, if I if I say the wrong thing, but I'm going to try to sum, summarize this really fast. Um, get in your truck or your car or whatever you drive. Yeah, put your camera bag in the car. It's okay, but don't put the news on. You know. Don't don't um, maybe find some music you like to listen to, and head toward an area that you think you'd like to explore and just hang out. And um, again, this is simplistic. It, it, it free your mind, and if you come back with a photograph, great. And if you didn't, you had a better day than most of your friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't the one thing I would add to that is, uh, yeah, one, one thing I would add to that, Jack, is that, uh, I mean, yeah, you, you can orchestrate that, but the, the really difficult part is to overcome the anxiety that comes from not keeping up with the news where you're constantly, well, what's going on, you know, how, how is this change, how is the election coming, how is the, how is the, the pandemic unfolding, uh, so uh, that's, that's where things like, uh, meditation and being able to focus attention and not multitasking come into play is they help you alleviate that anxiety because they help you recognize and this is something that you know anybody that's done psychotherapy and in, in, uh, in cognitive behavioral therapy that that's the role of, of the therapist is to get you to question the, the rationality of what you're doing is it rational for me to feel anxious about this now is it rational for me to worry about this as much as i do uh, and so you need to gradually train your mind to say it's okay to let this go for the next hour or two or day because really it's not going to matter that much and i can reclaim all that attention and i can cancel out some of that anxiety and and reroute my my mental my cognitive resources into something more enjoyable more important more gratifying yeah, and, the, and your image will reflect that yeah for sure yes for sure well guy it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the program thank you so much for coming back I thank I, you guys i appreciate the opportunity we could do i could do this every yeah. week <laughs> i honestly could yeah. Hey, folks, um, uh, don't forget, check out Guy's new book. It's on Rocky Nook Publishers. I'll post a link to the website, to their website, to his book, 
on our show notes, but Rocky Nook, R-O-C-K-Y-N-O-O-K, to get his latest edition of More Than a Rock. And is it shipping? Is it, is it available? Uh, it's available in electronic format right now, and you can pre-order it. It will ship in the next few weeks. And, uh, John, I don't know if you were going to say this anyway, but Rocky Nook is generously uh, providing a 35% discount for anybody that orders now, and you can claim that if you type in the coupon code GUYTAL35. That's G-U-Y-T-A-L-3-5. Yeah, we'll put that up on the show notes. Yeah, thanks for that, guy, very much. This is an awesome book. Um, read it. I, you know, I've read your first edition, I think, three times now because there's always different nuggets that I pull out of your thoughts and your words um, each time because it's so rich in different ideas and inspiration. I've, I've had to read it three times, and I still don't think I'm done reading and rereading this book. It's It's phenomenal thank you thank you <laughs> look i you know again i'm not going to repeat what john just said he nailed it and uh it's great to have you and uh we'll do this again maybe in a few months if you wouldn't mind uh, and and uh you know as things loosen up here and we get out in the field maybe uh, we'll uh we'll uh, cross paths again and we can have one of those uh those long evenings Absolutely, I'd love to. Remember that night by the Owens River with the fire, with the bugs that night. Oh, jeez, yeah. <laughs> one of many. Anyhow, thank you for being here. Thank you for taking the time, um, and uh, in, enjoy uh, enjoy you, the beautiful area where you live, guy. Thank you very much. You guys have a great day. Okay, right. everybody, you can contact us as always at uh, through email. And if you have any questions, any ideas on who you'd maybe like to have us uh, find that we can put on our podcast, it's wetalkphoto at gmail.com. You can listen to our podcast uh, anywhere where podcasts are found, basically. And and uh, it's our pleasure to be here. John and I are heading to Jackson, Wyoming this coming Sunday, and we're going to re- Hopefully, report, report, record a podcast out there, John. Correct? Yeah, indeed. And live on a, the scene. A, a, a live thing. And anyhow, thank you all. And uh, it's been our pleasure. Until Thanks. next time, see you. See you, folks.